Good evening and welcome everyone. I'm glad to have you with us tonight as we discuss and look at where we are spiritually. We all know it's extremely important for us to know exactly where we're located, both in time and in space. What time is it? Where are we in the in the Lord's timing? But also, where are we located physically in order to actually get to the destination that we have desired to go? And we're going to talk about that in this episode. So if you could, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. And this is extremely important because we've as we talk about time and location and where we are, and of course, what the Lord's doing, it's important because we want to remain in step with the Lord so we can actually be part of his plan in his perfect will for our lives, but also with what he's doing. So we can be, we as his vessels can be used of him to bring about his plans and his purpose, his will and his covenant here in the earth. And there's been a lot of discussion over the the years of what generation we are, where we're at. Some have said that they're the Joshua generation. Others have said, even recently, I've heard people claim that this is the Elisha, or Elijah, excuse me, generation. So we're going to examine that. Because we know the scripture tells us very plainly in Malachi that Elisha, or Elijah, excuse me, will, will come. It says very plainly, Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And verse 6 says this, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So let's, let's gain an understanding here. And in 2 Kings, it's looking at the end of Elijah's life. So if we could, we're going to begin in verse 1. And we're going to read, if you have your, your Bible, I would encourage you to follow along so you can see this for yourself. Because when it's yours, no one can take it from you. It's written on the tablet of your heart. It's not just some word that some guy or woman said somewhere along the way, but it will be yours. So it begins in saying saying this. This is 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha. From Gilgal, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and stated to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So there are four different locations given. And in there lies our, if you will, roadmap, but also our location as to exactly where we 
are at in the Lord's timing and where he has us, which will give us insight into what reason. Now, of course, we have to look at every one of these places because each one has significance. Each one has, a, has meaning, which is incredible. So let's note that first they go, well, we'll start in order of uh, listed order. So the first place they go to is Gilgal. Now let's turn to Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse 19. Actually, let me provide a little background first. So I'll provide the background after. Forgive me. Starting in, ver- in Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord was mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So, simply stated, Gilgal is important for two reasons. One, it is the place of dedication. It is the place where they consecrated themselves to the Lord. Because in, And I say that because in, if you continue in Joshua, in chapter 5, that's where Israel became circumcised, or as stated, consecrated themselves. But they dedicated themselves to the Lord. They put up a memorial of these 12 stones, which they took, this is the background, out of the Jordan River as the Lord parted the waters, just like he did in the Red Sea. So they crossed over the land, and 12 people were selected, one from each tribe, to carry this rock, and they carried it to Gilgal, which was on the edge of Jericho, and that's where they camped. So Gilgal starts off, and that's northeast of where Jericho is. So that is the first place that Elijah goes from. And then it says that he traveled to Bethel. Now Bethel is an extremely important place in scripture in a number of, for a number of different reasons. We hear about it in Genesis 28. Really is verses 10 through 22. But, so I'll let you read that on your own time, just for for time here. But this is the place where Jacob has the dream. And he says, and he also needs the Lord, but I'll, I'll just say this in verse 16. Says then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then it talks about how Jacob arose early in the morning, took the stone he had put under his head and set it up there as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Although the city had formerly been named 
or previously the name of the city had been Luz, L-U-Z. And Bethel, so the significance, in case everybody missed that, was it is the place of the house of God or the gate of heaven. So, dedicated, then to the place of heaven, the gate of heaven, also known as the house of God, and then he travels to Jericho. Now, Jericho, we have to go back to Joshua for. And actually, we hear about Jericho in chapter 3 of Joshua because there are spies spying out the land. But it's extremely important here. And we're going to go look at Joshua 6 because this was the conquest of Jericho. And I'll just start reading in verse 1. And it says, And Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city, and let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so, that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carried the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, went forward and blew trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you. Shout. Then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came to the camp and spent the night in the camp. And if you continue, those that know the story will know that on the seventh day, after they'd marched around it seven times and they were instructed to shout, that the walls came crumbling down, giving them great victory over that city. And the destruction was so great that Joshua, uh, actually so great, that it was not rebuilt. And, and there was even a curse put on it, saying whoever attempts to rebuild this, they will suffer great loss. They will lose their children on the day it starts and on the day that it ends. So it is important. Jericho signifies a stronghold of the enemy. It also signifies evil and wickedness. But it's also a place of, I'll say, that the enemy was defeated. Now, why is all this important? Why are we looking at both Elijah and where he's going and Joshua and the generation? I know some of you were probably saying, hey, John, you were going to make this, you said this was going to provide clarity. We're going to know exactly where we were. And I did say that because we are going to know where we're, where we're at and where we're heading to. If we go back to Second Kings, every one of these places was a reverse order of where the Joshua generation 
went to. When Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, though first they had to dedicate or consecrate themselves for that. Before they even crossed, We find that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Oh, sorry, that's, that's where it's talking about the stones. Forgive me. But prior to them crossing the Jordan, they had to, I believe it's in chapter 3, there was a period of time where they had to, yes, it's in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, And Joshua said to the people, and this is before they crossed the Jordan into the land, Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take out the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead. So let's, let's denote that first. Prior to even crossing in, the people had to consecrate themselves. And then as they came in, or entered in, They, again, if you will, consecrated, but more dedicated themselves to the Lord and set up a memorial that they would remain steadfast with the Lord. And as a result, we saw the Lord move on their behalf, especially as it came with victory, a crushing victory over Jericho. An enemy stronghold. And it was actually the first enemy stronghold that they came across in the land that the Lord was bringing them to. So if we look at this, Elijah brings Elisha in the reverse order. He first goes to the place where they camped out on the edge of Jericho, where they, the children of Israel, being brought into the promised land, had dedicated themselves. He then travels to Bethel, or they travel to Bethel, the house of God. And at the house of God, there were prophets from the school of prophets that said, hey, don't you know, they'd received insight from the Lord that Elisha's master, Elijah, his mentor, the person that was training him and getting him ready for the work of service and ministry to the Lord and to the Lord's people. These prophets from the, that were in Bethel said, hey, don't you know this is going to happen? He said, I know. And then they left Bethel, known as the house of the Lord or the gate of heaven, and traveled to Jericho the place of the first enemy where they overcame him and then to the Jordan. Oh, sorry, excuse me, I, I left something out. At Jericho, there were also sons of the prophets who approached and said, hey, don't you know your master's going to be taken away today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. But then and in every place, Elijah said, hey, why don't you stay here? Why don't you stay in the house of the Lord? Why don't you stay at Jericho? And then he was going to the Jordan. Elisha's determination was, I won't leave you. So they continued on. They continued on to the place where they first entered. The children of Israel first entered the land. And if we continue reading in 2 Kings, you find that there are 50 people, 50 of these prophets that are on the opposite side because Elijah has take, had taken his mantle and smacked it on the ground, on the waters, which then the waters separated just like it did for the children of Israel entering into the land. Only now he has crossed over 
He has crossed the Jordan out of, if you will, Israel. You could say that he departed. And that is the location where he asked Elisha what he wanted. Elisha's response is that he wanted the same spirit, a double portion of the spirit that Elijah operated in. And if we continue reading, you find that Elijah is then taken up. But then we also see how Elisha tore his clothes, but he picked up the mantle that fell from Elijah. And in like manner, he rolls it up and he stands by the bank or on the bank of the Jordan. And he asks, where is the the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he too, as he just seen, strikes the waters and crosses over back into the land. And, and this is interesting. It's We have to understand this. We have to get this, this part and full understanding so we can understand the future. The things that, that followed this event. So now you have an individual, an Elisha, that is... I'll say moving with a a double portion of the same spirit that was on Elijah. But what did we read about Elijah? We read in Malachi that yes, the Lord is going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And his role was what? That he would restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come. That's talking about the Lord. So the Lord will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now we know that the Lord does not curse, but he does turn us over to the things that we have desired. Did Elijah restore the hearts of the children to, or of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Well, if we look at his entire, what we know in scripture to be his life, what is recorded, you could argue he did not. Even on Mount Carmel, what, his, what does he ask the people? How long will you be of two opinions? How long will you be of two opinions? And he tells them, either serve God or serve Baal. So we have to understand that. And yes, he was used mightily. The Lord answered by fire, which is one of the things that Many love about Elijah. When we read Elijah, oh man, it was so great. And look at all the ways he was used and called down fire and all these things happened. Not on Carmel, but the, the captains of the 50 or the captains of 50 and their men. Fire was called down. But what was his purpose? The Lord sent him to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And now he's taken up, as we just read. But Ahab still was still there. Jezebel is still alive and lived through a a significant part of even Elisha's, I'll say life, but ministry. So even with all that power, did the people actually choose the Lord? Did they actually choose to serve him? Or was it just enough to get through the next event? I 
I have to, we have to get this and understand it because now here is Elisha standing on the banks of the Jordan. And these prophets who were given insight and revelation, the Lord told them, hey, this is what is going to happen with Elijah. They didn't know the fullness of how he would be taken up, but they knew he was going to go. As, as Elisha is standing on the banks of the Jordan in the land of Israel, he is now being berated and questioned about Elisha, or Elijah, excuse me, asking where did he go and, and telling Elisha that he should go search for his master, the man who literally just saw his, his mentor, the person that taught him and trained him and prepared him for ministry, taken up in a chariot to heaven. In verse 16, though, the, the prophets, 50 of them that were on the opposite side, but walking alongside both Elijah and Elisha, said, Behold, they said to him, said, they said, the prophet said to Elisha, Behold now, there are with their servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or in some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But they urged him until he was ashamed. And ultimately gave in to their demands and said, send. And they sent the 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him. And then came back and they returned to Elisha while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? So let's understand that for a moment. This happened as Elisha had crossed back over. Now I want to, and, and so, he, so he'd crossed back over. And he was standing on the banks of the Jordan. And I will tell you that that is exactly where we are at. As a, as a people, as the body of Christ. This is the time and this is where we are located in this time. But there are more places to go. And no doubt some of you will say, well, how do you figure that we're there? Well, prior to the beginning of 2023, the Lord was talking about Moses and crossing the Red Sea and how the Lord was doing this spectacular work, but he was the one doing it. There was a deliverance that was occurring. And if you look at laws, if you look at legislation, if you look at a number of things that have happened in schools overturning of Roe v. Wade and, and a number of other legislative pieces. You have seen the Lord move and work and deliver his people who have been crying out, who have consecrated themselves. He has, I'll say, crossed us, or we have crossed over into where he has promised us. And there's still more work to be done. There is still a Jericho, a stronghold that needs to be defeated. And Jericho, yes, was a stronghold in the day, but it's a stronghold still today. Now, I'm not talking of the natural Jericho, but even with all this deliverance, have we not seen the enemy double down? Try attempt to fortify themselves in their place and their positions and circumvent laws and create new ones in an attempt to take away or an attempt to undo what the Lord has done and just delivered us from and make things even that much more painful for God and his, I'll say God's people. 
Because you can't affect the Lord. He's always victorious. So we are in a choosing place. How do you know that, John? Well, we just said about, about Elisha. He was now walking in the, a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. But let's understand something. Let's understand. Here he is on the banks of the Jordan. There was another individual that came and ministered on the banks of the Jordan. And his name, this is the New Testament now, was John the Baptist. And we'll begin in Matthew 3. It says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized in him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do we notice a trend in a pattern? The next Elijah, and let me get to that scripture real quick, just so we can get a fullness of understanding here. Jesus being the person that John prophesied about and who John declared, this is the one who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, uh, Jesus said this about John. Said This is in Matthew 11. We'll begin in verse 11. It's truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he continues. Well, what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace to call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating or drinking, and they say he is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now we need to understand this. Jesus himself declared that John the Baptist was Elijah, who was prophesied to come. 
And we read that in Malachi. He came to restore the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, for those that may or may not have studied out John the Baptist, you will find that he was born to Zechariah, who was a high priest, who clearly would have prepared his own son for the priesthood to one day be the high priest. But also, John the Baptist was filled with Holy Spirit before he was even born. So he was moved and led and guided by Holy Spirit. And when it came time for his ministry, clearly he did not remain in the temple. But he was led out to the Jordan, which was, wait, let's recognize this. The Jordan was the last place where Elijah was seen. So it would make sense that it would be the first place that someone operating in the spirit of Elijah would come to begin his ministry. But what was John saying in chapter 3? He was telling people to repent, yes. But what is that? He's telling them to choose the Lord. And he's warning them of what happens if people don't choose the Lord. Yeah, there was a crossing, absolutely, at the Jordan. We see that in Joshua. But we have to go in the reverse order again. Crossing the Jordan, choosing to serve the Lord. Defeating, or, or and by, I'll say, choosing to serve the Lord to follow him fully. So we are not cast out. So our, the axe does not cut our branches. And we are cast into unquenchable fire. But we must choose to follow the Lord. If we go back to the, this, and this is how we receive the, where we know that we are following the Lord. The, what are the instructions given for the defeat of Jericho? There was something that we say at this ministry all the time because that's how Jesus said as our pattern example. He said, I only say what my father says. I only do what my father does. Joshua instructed the people who had already dedicated and consecrated themselves to the Lord, who had already chosen to follow the Lord. He said, Do not, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you shout. Then you shall shout. But then there was also seven days of marching. Six days was marching around one time. And on the seventh day, marching seven times. Demonstrating their obedience to the Lord. And when they did that, they received the victory over their enemies. The stronghold was defeated. And I will tell you that that's exactly where we're at right now. Not at Jericho. But we are on the banks of the Jordan choosing. Choosing to serve the Lord and to put those things away from us that don't reflect Him, that are in opposition or at war with the Lord and His nature and character and attributes. And yes, we should do it because we love the Lord. Because He's our God and we're His people. He is our Heavenly Father and we're His children. That should be the first reason. And yes, we should also want to see the victory. The Lord had delivered them from bondage and slavery, but now they had to continue to walk in the Lord, in His ways, to continue to move from victory to victory in Christ Jesus. And that's so important, because if we, again, if we retrace it from where John the Baptist started, 
which would be the reverse order of all the places that Elijah walked. You go from the banks of the Jordan after crossing over, a choosing to serve the Lord. Then we go to the stronghold, and the stronghold is defeated. The enemy strongholds, demonstrating our obedience to the Lord. Then the next thing, is, or the next place, is Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven, where the glory of the Lord comes down and touches earth, and not just touches earth, but fills the earth. It visibly manifests. It is seen. We as the body of Christ, we as his church, as the bride of Christ, should desire the glory of the Lord. We should want that, not just in our own lives, in our own ministries, but throughout the whole earth. And then lastly, Gilgal. Gilgal being that place of dedication. It is in the reverse because it denotes that we will remain steadfast. When Joshua's generation came in, they defeated Jericho. The Lord gave them the defeat of Jericho. But then they, the children of Israel, were defeated at Ai. They were defeated because there was sin in the camp. We have to put those things away from us. At every one of those places, that was the choice and the decision. Even in Bethel, sometime later, Jacob came back. I believe it's in chapter 35. He actually, Jacob moved to Bethel. But, yes, he set up the pillar in the place where he'd spoken. But also, he took the other gods that were being served, and he buried them under an oak tree. Now, oak typically refers to something that's strong, that's steadfast. He was putting them under the tree. His roots, Jacob's roots, being rooted and grounded in the Lord. Putting these other gods, these other idols, under, if you will, the feet to be trampled done away, put away for forever, gone. Not for storage for some other time, but to remain steadfast with the Lord. That's where we are, or where we need to get to. Jesus said very plainly, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. But he also said, or he then said, and that your fruit would remain. We should move beyond the place of, of the choosing to just choose the Lord and continue in his ways. And no doubt there will be some that say, well, I've been in ministry for X amount of years or whatever that is. Isn't that exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying to John the Baptist? Isn't that exactly what he was saying back to them? Don't say for yourself these things. We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that the Lord is able to make these stones sons of Abraham. These were people that were involved in ministry. But they, and they were teaching others. But they were in opposition to the Lord. That should be so far from us. 
our hearts should be so open to the Lord and His leading, and that is the choice and decision that we have to make so we can have victory. First of all, so that we can be His in true, intimate, deep, personal relationship with the Lord. Demonstrating our love for Him and our faith in Him by our obedience to say what He says to say, to do what He says to do. And that is how we overcome. That is how we get the victory, which also includes the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That is how we pull down strongholds. It's the Lord that's actually doing it. He's also looking for servants, His servants on the earth, someone that he can show himself strong through. Not just for them, for those around them, for his people, and to draw people close to himself, demonstrating his might and his power, as was said in numerous places. Especially when it came to Jericho. So that we whether that's here in this nation, in the United States of America, or any nation you're in. Choose the Lord and allow the Lord to manifest himself and his glory in and through you and throughout your nation for him. And choose purpose to remain steadfast, to remain dedicated to the Lord not entering into his presence to then leave it and constantly going back and forth or in and out, but to remain in his presence with him. But it starts with that choice so that we can move from beyond the banks of the Jordan River. Notice how John the Baptist also never moved from that spot until he was arrested and taken by Herod and then ultimately beheaded. He knew the plan and the timing of the Lord. He knew what his role was. And he was doing everything that he was instructed to by Holy Spirit to help people choose the Lord. To make that choice to begin the relationship with Him. To begin moving forward. Because He too knew there were other places that we as the Lord's body, as His bride, were to go and to prepare. That we as His church needed to go forth and actually occupy the land. Will we, if this is the Elijah generation, will we move beyond the banks of the Jordan? And will we complete the journey? Will the hearts of the fathers be restored to the children? Or will the hearts of the children be and will the hearts of the children be restored to the fathers? Or will the lamb be struck with a curse? What's happened since John the Baptist? Have there there been lots of fruit? Lots of prosperity? Or have there been different pockets? Pockets of revival. Pockets of prosperity. Periods of pockets and times and seasons where we've actually turned to the Lord and allowed Him to move. But not remained in His presence. Will this be the generation that actually hearkens unto the call of the Lord? And that exhorts others to do the same?
we all have a choice. And I strongly encourage you to choose the Lord for yourself, but also for the Lord to bring heaven down to earth. That was the Lord's prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will we be that generation before the Lord returns? I want to leave you with that. I thank you all for joining us on Matters of Life, and I thank you who continue to stand for the Lord, for righteousness, and for justice. Love you. God bless you. and Have a wonderful evening.